Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. Welcome to this week's episode of Literary Quest. We are going to be continuing our Pride Month theme, and this week we're talking about Cinderella is Dead by Kaylin Bayron. I'm going to do our characters and locations, and Marissa will pick up with our plot. So we have Sophia. She's the first of our main female leads. She's 16 years old and is known for being a bit of a rebel. She hates the sexist and oppressive laws in Lil. Um, She's been in love with her childhood friend, Erin, for a long time. Uh, She has a couple other friends. She's close to another girl named Liv, and she also has a neighbor named Luke. She is described as dark-skinned with curly hair and being very pretty. We have Constance. She is our second main female lead. She's a bit older than Sophia and knows the truth about the history of Cinderella. She is actually the descendant of one of the evil stepsisters. Her family was exiled, so she has had to live on the fringe of society. She has been working towards taking down the king and the establishment, but the numbers of the rebellion have been dwindling. We also have Amina. She is the fairy godmother from Cinderella's fairy tale. She is actually a witch. She's several centuries old and has many, many secrets. King Manford, he is the current king of Marseille. He's a sexist, narcissistic man who loves to keep women subordinate. And in terms of our locations, we have Marseille, which is the kingdom, and Lil, which is the city. All righty. So. Cinderella has been dead for 200 years, but her fairy tale union with Prince Charming, who became the ruler of Lil, is the basis for a traditional ball held every year where every girl beginning at age 16 is presented to the men of Lil for choosing as a wife. The girls are given three chances, three years to be chosen, and if they're not chosen, they're considered forfeits and forced to work in some sketchy places, or they just disappear entirely. The time for the ball has arrived and Sophia, our female main character, is resistant to it with every fiber of her being, not just because she sees herself as being more than just the property of men, but also because she's already in love with her friend, Erin, though same-sex relationships are prohibited in Lil. Sophia asks Erin to meet her in the woods on the outskirts of town and pleads with Erin to run away with her before the ball, but Erin rejects her for fear of being disowned by her parents and both of them are nearly caught by palace guards while trying to make it back to town. Sophia and Aaron are separated, and as Sophia makes her way into the center of town for an appointment for her with her mother at the seamstress to have her gown fitted, she runs into her other best friend, Liv, who is anxious and hopeful that the fairy godmother will come visit her. As her family does not have the funds for an extravagant dress for the ball. Sophia goes to visit the seamstress to be fitted for her dress and notices that the seamstress has bruises along her neck and arm. She's clear and she is clearly the victim of domestic violence. The next day, Sophia's mother tasks her with retrieving ribbons to go with her gown from the seamstress, and she is driven there by a young man named Luke. Upon reaching the seamstress's shop, Sophia finds the woman's child cowering under the table and she disrupts a violent argument the woman's husband is having with the seamstress over the money that she's collected. Sophia obtains her ribbons and leaves, enormously troubled. On the way back to her house, Luke pulls over his cart and hints that he is gay, but Sophia does not know if she can trust him. They are confronted by two of Luke's peers, Morris and his brother Edward, who are bullies, and Luke punches Morris in the face for manhandling Sophia and also for bringing up Luke's former lover. On their way back to Sophia's house, Luke makes a comment to her about considering running away with him to a place where they can be who who they truly are. The day for the ball arrives and Sophia is dressed and driven to the palace in a carriage that she shares with Aaron. They are herded into a ballroom where the king is present with the male suitors. 
Amongst the crowd, Liv is called out by the king for her simple dress, denounced as forfeit and hurried off by guards into a side room. The ball begins and Sophia is surprised to see Luke, who tells her of his plans to make a claim for her. She is so relieved, but this is short-lived when Morris, the dirtbag who manhandled her earlier, appears with his brother in tow. A confrontation occurs and Luke is beaten and taken prisoner for wanting to claim Sophia when Morris, who comes from money, states that he had to claim her. Sophia is terrified, locks herself in a bathroom and escapes through a window, but the palace guards are hot on her trail. She crashes through a ceiling into what looks like a dungeon and she realizes that someone is being held there behind the doors in the dungeon, but she doesn't have time to stop. She runs deep into the woods and stumbles across Cinderella's crypt, littered with old messages and prayers from the devout begging for their daughters to be chosen. She sees a light through a window in the crypt and decides to go in as she can hear noise from the guards who are chasing her. Inside, she finds Cinderella's coffin and runs into a young woman named Constance. They are mistrustful of each other, but when Sophia explains her circumstances, Constance gives her pants, a tunic, and boots and tells her to meet her along a road that leads out of Lil the next day. The sun rises and Sophia sneaks out of town, and on her way out, she discovers the body of her friend Liv, broken in a ravine. She is dead, and Sophia is heartsick. She continues into the forest and runs into Constance, who takes her to her family's abandoned house in the country and reveals a bit of her family history. The story of Cinderella is a lie. Constance is a descendant of Gabrielle, one of the stepsisters, and has been carrying on the family's legacy of trying to dismantle the king's rulership in Marseille. Cinderella had actually planned to kill Prince Charming, not marry him but something went went awry. They just don't know what. Constance and Sophia make a plan to seek out the fairy godmother who lives in the white wood. And Sophia is relieved to find that she has an ally in Constance, but also that there are others like them who feel the same. They stop in Lil the next day for supplies and the king arrives furious about Sophia's escape. And he beheads the seamstress as a suspect in helping Sophia escape. The king is desperate to get her back, and Sophia feels enormous guilt for the seamstress. They make it past the guards on the western border into the white wood, which is pretty sketchy but fairly innocuous, until the wolves arrive and chase them even deeper into the forest. However, they arrive at the witch's hut, which is pretty shabby, and ask her to share what she knows of Cinderella's story. The witch, Amina, reveals that she helped Prince Charming is sent to power, that the king who sits on the throne is the same person as Prince Charming. Amina worked with Cinderella on a plan to overthrow Charming when it became clear that he would be a tyrannical ruler, but Amina sabotaged Cinderella by giving her a love potion, which made her think that she loved Prince Charming. Eventually it wore off though, and Cinderella descended into a miserable existence and died. Amina agrees to work with Constance and Sophia to help find Cinderella's missing journal, but it will involve raising Cinderella from the dead to speak with her. They eventually gather all of the supplies they need, go to her crypt, and discover that her body has not decayed as it ought to. They raise her to ask her how to stop King Manford, a.k.a. Prince Charming, but Cinderella is unable to share much just that he takes and takes and he took from her and that there was a light and then nothing. They go back to Constance's family home with Amina and try to come up with a plan. Amina finds a notification in town stating that the king is holding a cotillion and all young girls are required to attend. It's obviously a plan to flesh out Sophia, but they decide to go with it, making the cotillion the day that they will launch their attack against the king. Sophia's feelings for Constance have continued to grow in the time that they've spent together. The day of the cotillion arrives and Constance makes Sophia promise to return to her. Amina uses magic to create a ball gown and accessories for Sophia like she did for Cinderella so long ago. And Sophia arrives at the castle and is almost immediately singled out by the king. But 
This was what she planned for. She throws him off by not cowering to him, by revealing that she knows what he is. And he escorts her to a library where he is threatening and awful. Sophia stabs him in the neck and is shocked when he doesn't die and then starts laughing at her. She is taken prisoner and thrown in the dungeon where she realizes other girls are being kept, including Emil, a friend of Constance and a fellow rebel. So will Sophia escape and what will happen to the girls of Lil? Will they overthrow the king? Spoilers abound. I loved this book. Me too. I feel like this book is evidence that I can actually enjoy a young adult novel and that I can, in fact, enjoy a book that has no smut in it. I was hooked when I started reading it. It was so good. What did you think? Yeah, I loved it. So I know that I like, so there are some like YA or no smut books that I like. Um, Talked about her before, Sarah K.O. Wilson, love her stuff. They're YA, but they're really good. Um, But after last week, I was concerned. Uh, So I'm so happy with this book. I really liked it. I loved all the character. Well, love to hate some of the characters I guess mm-hmm. <laughs> um the world was fleshed out really nicely the relationships grew you know really well uh, I liked the idea behind it and everything I, I really enjoyed this yes it was so so good um this book also has lots of representation which is kind of the point of the book that we're featuring this book this month but we have multiple characters who are people of color and multiple characters who are gay or lesbians and suggestions that there are many more out there and so that's that's part of what we wanted to um include in pride month is books with this type of representation and i feel like this book has a lot of it which is fantastic yeah, I really liked seeing that, especially in YA books. Now we're getting more diversity and this is something that appeals to plenty of people too. You know, it's not, I mean, it's fantasy, but it's not really like a, a niche thing. It's right. Other people can read it and they get to see yeah. um, representation. Mm-hmm. So how did you feel reading like a standalone fantasy novel? You know, I've, I feel usually pretty wary when I walk into a situation where it's a standalone fantasy. I love series for some reason. I just prefer them over standalone novels, but I was reading this one and thinking there's no way this is only one book. And so, but it is, this is a standalone novel and I did not expect the whole story to be contained within this book and was surprised when it was, I feel like the author packaged the story up really well and fit it into a 400 page book with the world building and the scene setting that she was able to do. It was good. It just felt a little bit rushed to me, but I went back and looked it up. And typically when the book is marketed towards the YA genre, it is recommended or they're supposed to be between 50,000 and 80,000 words which translates to about 250 to 400 pages. And this book was right around 390. So it makes sense kind of with the way that this book was marketed and published, why it's a shorter novel. Um, I just, I, I felt, I felt a little bit rushed through parts of it. What did you think? Yeah, I felt like for the most part, the pacing was good. We got to the end and I felt like everything just sped up like crazy. And I was kind of left like, wait a second, let's go back because I need to know more sort Mm -hmm. of thing. Um, For the most part, though, I felt like the pacing was good. I thought the world building was good, um, Mm -hmm. too. I would have liked to know, obviously, she's dead, but like um, more about Cinderella, like from her point of view, you know, like more of like when she was growing up, you know, I would have liked to see that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that could be a separate book. It could. Well, and in reading this, I feel like the author has kind of set herself up for if she wanted to write more books, 
she in could. this universe she could. Yes. Because they mention the book that Constance has. That's it reminded me of the Grimm's brother, the Grimm brothers. I wondered if there was like a because they're described as being female. And so I wondered if it was like a gender bend on the Grimm brothers. Uh, mm-hmm. The book that Constance has is like the actual version of events for fairy tales. And it mentions like Snow White is, I think, one of the ones that's mentioned um, it, that's got like the accurate version of this. So I feel like she set herself up for if she wanted to do that, she could. Yes. And I actually really liked that with um, Snow White. It's the whole... Um it was a stone, right? But they, they had called it a mirror and that's where it came from. And the mirror shows you things. And that's why she went to kill. Yes. And I really love that. So Amina mentions this, the, the mirror, whatever shows the evil queen that she's going to have to kill Snow White if she wants to be whatever. But she says, it wouldn't have shown her that if it wasn't already in her heart that she wanted to do that, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I agree and I agree with you on the ending and I feel like the ep- I wanted the epilogue to be longer I love this is just a personal preference but I love it when the epilogue is like the size of a full chapter and I love it when there's more than one of them um, and so the epilogue is like the actual telling of events of Cinderella's story and what happened in the days that followed the downfall of King Manford, but it's like three or four pages long. Mm-hmm. And I wanted more. And I agree. The end felt like wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. And I wanted <laughs> it to be drawn out. Yeah. Yeah. I think if she came out with other books similar to this, I'd probably read them. Mm-hmm. I definitely would. I highlighted probably half of this book. The whole, I mean, it was so, so quotable. Was. I was like feeling the feminine rage while I was reading this story. <laughs> I highlighted so much. Like as I was highlighting, I'm thinking I'm going to have so much to go through. And that's why I was like, we need to push back this recording. <laughs> but I had so much to go through. Mm-hmm. So many yeah. good quotes in here. So many, so yeah. many good quotes. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was outstanding. It was very hard for me to pick my favorite things to talk about because I had so much highlighted. Mm-hmm. The The main characters in this book were outstanding. Sophia is our female lead and I loved her. I also think her last name is Sophia Grimmins, right? Grimm brothers, mm-hmm. Grimmins. It's not a huge leap there. Um, (laughs) But I think this character represents something that many people have felt at some point in their lives. So feeling like they don't fit in with most of the people around them. And maybe even like with the people that they feel closest to, not feeling like they're able to fully be who they are. She feels like she has to shrink who she is to be with Aaron, but she also has this moment where she realizes that she has found people who are like her and she doesn't have to change herself for those people and they accept her as she is. And so she, I feel like represents maybe as a character for this genre, YA, I feel like a lot of times that feeling is really strong where, you know, you're very young perhaps, and you don't feel like you fit in. But as an adult, I have felt this like in my workplace where you don't feel like you can connect fully to or completely expose who you are as a person. But then you have this moment where you find people who let you be who you fully are. And it's so liberating. So I feel like as a character, she is very relatable. Um, and this is represented not just in like her romantic feelings for Aaron and in being tra- attracted to women, but also in her desire to fight an oppressive system rather than let it beat her down and force her to submit to the whims of men. Yes. I loved Sophia too. And I think to your point, she's a great, um, YA character that everyone can relate to. Like you said, you know, we see a lot of YA, there's that angst of not fitting in. 
but she has that extra layer of finding the people that she's closest to and like still not fitting in with them. Mm-hmm. But I had a bit of a problem with her at first because she was pushing Aaron so much and I really didn't like that. Yeah. Um, I think I my note was like, no means no. Like she clearly was like, back off from this. I'm not doing this. And she just kept pushing. And I was like, I would have been really frustrated too if I was Aaron. Mm-hmm. Um, so at first I was like, um, not loving this. But she actually completely addresses that point later on. She was like, I shouldn't have done that. I was like, yay, we get like actual growth, Mm -hmm. Uh, like getting to like see that happen. And I just loved her spirit so much. She has this conversation with Amina and Amina's, you know, she tells Amina that she's lost and Amina's kind of rude. And she's like, oh, well, who's going to find you or who's going to save you? And she goes, I will find myself. And I was like, yes. Yes, girl, do it. Yes. Yes loves her loved her spirit love yeah and she's able mm-hmm. to adapt really quickly to her situations I think she took it pretty well when she was told that her whole life was a lie yeah <laughs> like she just kind of went with it <laughs> entire paradigm shift she's like all right let's roll with it <laughs> yeah yeah um I thought her interactions with Erin were really interesting because she is very pushy in the start of the story. And I don't think it, I think it just comes from a, like a place of desperation for her and also in being able to recognize they live in a threatening world for women Mm -hmm. and wanting to, because she loves Erin, wanting to save her from that. Then she also comes to recognize, like, I can't do this for her and I can't want this for her. And she has set these boundaries and she wants these things for herself. I get what you're saying. Like initially she felt very aggressive towards Aaron, but I also get like, when you love someone, you don't want them to be hurt in that way. And I think part of that was also maybe her projecting her feelings of desperation onto Aaron, who was more willing to accept that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Aaron was an interesting character, but so she said, so she says this to Sophia, and I really feel like this is one of the, like, things that, like, Sophia should have just, like, ended, like, her pushing at, but she Mm -hmm. goes, you've never once stopped to think that maybe I don't want to be different. I don't want to stick out, right? Yeah. And, you know, I ended up, like, growing to love Sophia and everything, but I just, like, at the moment, like, with Aaron, I was, like, yeah, you know, like, stop yeah I mean you can't make someone feel the same way that you do yeah and even like you can't make somebody care about an issue the same level you care mm-hmm. either and it's hard to see you know like if you're passionate about something you want other people to be passionate about it too yeah I, I see kind of both sides to this mm-hmm. um but yeah I definitely ended up like growing to love Sophia and Aaron kind of ended up down on my list there Yes. Yeah. There's certainly Aaron becomes a little bit more. I I feel like problematic is not the word. It's just that she is because of the decisions that she made, she's put herself in a bad situation, not even the decisions that she made because of the decision in part that she made, but also that an oppressive, like an oppressive system put her in. Mm-hmm she has ended up in a bad situation. She kind of reminds me of that whole, the misogyny is coming from inside the house. Mm-hmm. Her and Liv give me that vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she she has that outburst at Sophia being like, oh, you think you're better than us now because you got away? Yeah, and it's that like, is 100% oh. her projecting her problems on <laughs> Sophia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I just... But Sophia, I would have been like, well, what did you think was going to happen to you? Right. Yeah. Well, and that's part of what frustrates me with Aaron's character is that she won't do these things with Aaron because she's so, or with Sophia, because she's so adamant that she's going to do what the King wants her to do. And she doesn't want to be disowned by her parents. But by the time uh, Sophia links up with Aaron before they head into the White Woods, Sophia has been engaged. No, Aaron has been engaged for a day. 
and has already been assaulted by her partner. Mm-hmm. She got a black eye. She has bruising all over her face and neck. I mean, and Aaron, no, Sophia, boy, the words, Sophia begs her to leave with her again at that point. And Sophia, or gosh, the words, Aaron is adamant that she's going to stick with her fiance because she doesn't want to be disowned by her parents. And I'm just thinking, what is the point? Mm-hmm. Is being assaulted better than being disowned? Is the I, potential for threat better than partner violence or from threat, like in running away with Sophia, better than that? I guess it's the fear of the unknown with that, too, because yeah. she could also be killed for running away with Sophia. Right. If she gets caught. It's risk reward sort of thing, you know, uh-huh. um, with it. Cost the balance ratio. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I think it's interesting. We see, so we have three female like um leads when we come in so we've got Sophia we've got um Erin and we've got Liv and so it's interesting to see kind of the differences between like Liv and Erin because Erin sort of like is accepting of what she is she wants to follow the rules you know like just because she doesn't want to get in trouble where Liv is like I believe in fairy godmother and I believe in like, I truly believe in this. So it was interesting to get those three characters mm-hmm. who all had different views um, mm-hmm. on it like that. This book filled me with like feminine rage. I was ready to burn it all down with Sophia and Constance. <laughs> I was so angry reading three parts of this book. And I felt like so like several parts of it reflected like real life. <laughs> and I oh, was yes. just ready to burn it down. I know. I was like, I will help you. Yes. How do I help yeah. you? There was a phrase in here where I think it's it's either Constance or Sophia that's like, you know, I'm not gonna try to change the government system. We just have to like burn the whole thing down and start fresh. And I was like, mm-hmm. Vicky is gonna love this. <laughs> And I did. I mean, it was just so fresh, the oppression, like this whole system is based on the idea that a man pays for, pays the girl's parents for the ability to marry her. And she lacks a choice in saying yes or no, he is able to abuse her as he sees fit. And when he wants a new wife, he can declare her forfeit and throw her away and pick another one. This is human trafficking. Like this is appalling yes it's awful and then the way the men dehumanize the women in this too like Mm -hmm. the first my very first note in this book was ew because the first scene are like these guards and they're talking about how oh the like girls really um for this year at the ball you know they're they're prettier than any other year and one of the other guard goes oh is is your wife gonna have an accident Mm-hmm. so that you can like go pick again or something I was like what yes uh, also the rules that they abide by all um members of household in Mersiah are required to designate one male of legal how legal age to be head of household his name will be registered and all activities undertaken by any member of the household must be sanctioned by the head of the household vomit mm-hmm. they control all of the money if they don't like what you're doing they can decide to basically i mean it's basically a death sentence if you're declared forfeit i was so angry mm-hmm. i know and then there's one point where the king says smile you're so much prettier when you smile and he says it to like a young girl too and i was like well that's gonna stick with her forever and ever and ever her entire life <laughs> Because that's how that happens. Mm-hmm. I feel like I haven't read just a ton of Cinderella retellings. I feel like the that this type of genre where they retell like Disney stories or I don't I guess it's just fairy tales. It's not necessarily Disney stories has gotten really popular recently. It seems like I've seen a lot of fairy tale retellings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked how this story sort of manipulated the retelling of Cinderella in such a negative way. Yes. 
um instead of it i feel like we've seen the beauty and the beast trope a lot that's very popular and i feel like it's because all girls are like i'm Belle. i just want a library and someone to feed me and leave me alone yes yeah because that's what we all want yeah um and a hairy dude and we're good but I really, I feel like this is a very original retelling of a fairy tale. Um, and I liked how basically the premise of it was used to enslave young women of the town to rotten men. And I hope that she reimagined more of the fairy tales in this, this way. But some of the things that I really love that were different from what we typically see is that Cinderella's parents were rebels. They opposed the governing body and her mom was killed for it. And eventually so was her dad. Mm-hmm. I loved the idea of the stepmom being ferocious of being a protector who felt the same way, who taught her daughters to defend themselves and planned to dismantle the ruling body from within and who taught them that they were valuable without the presence of a man. And I loved that the stepsisters were kind and that they loved Cinderella and they continued to try to fight against the king even after they were exiled and they passed that down to their children. I think it was really interesting um, to make Cinderella a character who was planning to kill Prince Charming and the fairy godmother actually being terrible and thwarting Cinderella by giving her a love potion so that she fell in love with Prince Charming and then was saddled to him and miserable. Um, I just thought that was so clever and different from anything that I have read about Cinderella. There aren't a ton of Cinderella retellings, I feel like, especially not ones that are as unique as this. The ones that I can think of, so I don't know if you ever read Ella Enchanted, Mm -hmm. Um, I loved that I was like obsessed with that when I was I don't know seven or eight Um, I loved that book and then the only ones I really can't think of too many there was um, I don't know if you ever watched the 10th kingdom Mm -hmm. at all it was a mini series that came on there was a fun twist of some fairy tales in that Um, and then the other one I thought about was ever after otherwise I can't really think there aren't that many there was like a dark romance that I read but instead of like evil stepsisters, she had evil stepbrothers who assaulted her. Mm, great. Yeah. <laughs> Way darker than anything. Super. So um, I like, this was a fairy tale that I don't think gets a ton of attention, but it's also one of the most famous. And it's also, I think it was the very first one that Disney put out. Yeah. Cinderella. She's like the first Disney princess. The best version of the Cinderella story in a movie form, in a live action form, is the one with Brandy, who's Cinderella, and Bernadette Peters, this is her stepmom. It's so good. Like, my childhood just connects with that immediately. I loved it. Um, but I, I do feel like in every Cinderella retelling, the stepmom and her stepsisters, or brothers, or whatever, mm-hmm. are always trash. And this is the first time I can think of where they haven't been just absolute garbage. And I love the idea that Cinderella maybe had some supportive people at home who were encouraging her. Mm-hmm. I do love the twist on the fairy godmother actually being awful and not like a savior type of figure. I feel like that lines out really well with how fairy types of creature creatures are anyway. Because they're tricky. They are tricky. Their help never comes for free. You're probably going to get screwed in the end. That definitely lines up more with like Fay lore. <laughs> Don't eat their food. Yeah. Don't say thank you. Mm-hmm. Our other female lead in this book was Constance. And I adored her. Mm-hmm. She was amazing. Also, because of her, we have this fantastic nod to pockets. Sophia asks her why she's wearing pants and Constance says, because they have pockets. I love pockets. And I mean, just instantly I felt connected to this woman. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was a great introduction to a character. 
buckets. That is literally all it takes to make me happy. (laughs) (laughs) We're best friends now. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Um, The uniting power of pockets. (laughs) Yes. I really liked Constance too. She was like such a badass. You know, she, I guess she must have been like living by herself at this point because Mm -hmm. her whole family had passed on or been killed uh the people that she had been with had been kidnapped or caught i guess by the king so she's just by herself but she's still like i'm gonna like do what i can to mess up the kingdom Mm -hmm. so i love that and she's also i feel like she's really kind and patient with sophia um like I felt like they were a good match and she also so Sophia is maybe like the softer person I guess maybe the more naive person then we have Constance over there like mm, this witch is a witch yeah. I don't trust her <laughs> like mm, something's going on so we yes. have I, like they balanced each other out I mm-hmm. felt as well she was a great character I loved the uh some humor that she pulled in too like so you were talking about the pockets but there's also um Oh my gosh, I almost said Amrin. <laughs> um, so at one point she says basically that she's made a habit out of stabbing every man that she sees. And I'm like, you know, you might be safer that way in this not world. A bad strategy. It's really not. <laughs> not a bad strategy at all. I love when uh Sophie is talking about stabbing someone in the neck and Constance is like no 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 that's too small a target you need to add for you need to aim for like their chest or their gut like go big or go home mm-hmm. <laughs> yes um I feel like as a character she was also very good at sort of easing Sophia into a more comfortable acceptance of her sexuality because we 100% get the vibe that Constance does not feel ashamed of being attracted to women. Um, she recognizes, and she makes a really great comment about her mom raising her to not believe that she needed a husband to be a complete person. Like, but that is not the way that Sophia has been raised up to this point. Mm -hmm. And so Sophia's sexuality up to now has been like, either don't talk about it or acknowledge it or, okay, you can kind of do this with Aaron until you both get married. And then you kind of need to let the whole idea go. And so that's a pretty, I would imagine a pretty shift in perspective for Sophia. And so what I like is that Constance feels comfortable in demonstrating her sexuality and the way that she feels towards Sophia without making Sophia feel like she has to demonstrate in the same way without it feeling aggressive. So, and because of that, Sophia feels more comfortable in being who she is, or not even that. It's just that because of the way that Constance is, it gives Sophia the space mm-hmm. to explore her sexuality and the way that she feels. It's very permissive. Yes. I think Sophia had been, they'd been somewhat, they've, her family had been more accepting than they could have been, I guess, you know, yeah. like she came out when she was 12 and they were just kind of like, Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> there was no like we're gonna disown you we're gonna forfeit you or anything they like clearly were like oh gosh um what to do (laughs) yeah it's a phase (laughs) yeah it's a phase um it made me think of so there's actually um last week with girls of fire paper and fire or whatever that book was called it's mentioned about not having an easy life right what if I and that same sentiment is reflected here which I found really interesting that it was um in there I'm trying to remember exactly the quote let me see 
So happiness is a bonus, Sophia. You are not entitled to it. And the sooner you accept it, the easier life will be. And Sophia's response is, and if I don't want an easy life? And I think it's interesting. We saw, we see that reflected in our past two books, this whole, I'm willing to like not have as easy life to be who I am. Mm-hmm. I think that was a conversation with her mom and her mom was just like, Ugh. yeah. God. I just want you to live. <laughs> just don't die. Don't get yourself killed. Yeah. What does she do? She runs away. I feel like I cannot, I can't speak to this as a person. Um, like as a parent, but I feel like there might, like those conversations might exist, especially considering the rates of violence against the trans community. Yes. See, I had that same thought too. And I was like, this is so similar to what we just read last week. This, And I was like, I bet this is like, this has got to be their thought process. And I've heard like, I mean, I've heard, I've read or something, articles about people when they come out and their parents are just like, I just don't want things to be harder for you, you know, and that this is something that's, that's done and that's said and it's this choice that they have to make to whether or not to hide or to take the hard, hard path. I feel like that highlights even more the need for people to be allies within the community and to recognize the violence that occurs against the LGBTQ plus community. And especially trans, the trans community seems to be a very popular target right now. It does. Yes. And we've talked about it before. I just don't understand why people want to hurt other people like that for their sexuality or for what they do in the bedroom. Stop. We're just in their regular life existing as a person. Right. Just don't be a dick. I know it's not that hard. And like, do your best to stop other people from being dicks. And that's where it becomes really like hard, right? So that reminds and Amina makes a comment at some point in the story where she says, I really struggled with her character too, in the way that I felt about her. But Amina, at some point, she makes a comment about basically. I mean, about, about people being sheep, right? Mm-hmm. So she says, I've never understand, understood why people follow along so blindly, even when they know something is wrong, they do it anyway. Maybe you all should start thinking for yourselves like, okay, <laughs> but also take a psychology class. Amina. <laughs> like <laughs> gr- the group think is strong. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, please reference the Ash Line study. <laughs> I mean, it would be nice. It would be great if, if we could all not follow along so blindly, but in doing that, you have to recognize that it is hard to not be part of the group, mm-hmm. which is where allies come in. There, there's also this quote. It's, um, but these good men aren't making the rules. The decent men are turning a blind eye to indecent acts. Yes. I love this. So this makes me think of two things. First, tolerance of intolerance is not appropriate. I don't remember mm-hmm. the whole quote, but that's like tolerance of intolerance is not like tolerance, basically. Um, and then it also makes me think of um, institutions that are notorious for being oppressive. Um, For example, like if we look at the American police system, right, our law enforcement, there's this whole, you know, oh, not all cops, sort of like not all men. But the problem is, is that, yes, you've got these decent men, right? but they're mm-hmm. not making a stand. They're still allowing this to happen. But that's that's why we say it's like, you can't, there's no, oh, that's why there's no such thing as a good cop. That's what it is. Yeah. There's no such thing as a good cop because they're all going along with this. Yeah. You know, they may say they, and just like these men, okay, yeah, they don't want their um, daughters being sent away. They don't want to see this happen. It makes them sad. It makes them cry, but they're letting it happen. 
Right. And then that, that turns into this idea that if you're not actively speaking out against an oppressive system, does that make you complicit in the oppression? And I feel like it does. Yes. Right. I agree. Mm -hmm. That what you just brought up reminded me of a really great analogy that this guy that I follow on TikTok brought up his, his page is, um, so his, uh, his TikTok handle is CYZ Eyes Boudoir. He makes several very good arguments, but one of them is like, it doesn't matter if the person is n not all men or whatever. To the, to the person looking at you, there is no way to recognize if you are one of those people who are not all men or whatever. And so you can't treat the situation like, well, you might not be a bad person mm -hmm. because you're more likely to get hurt. You have to approach that situation like, they're all bad people. And then if they happen to not be, well, okay. Right. It's better to be pleasantly surprised than dead or assaulted. Yes. Was that the one who made the um, analogy towards a gun? Yes. That was good. He, his page, y'all, you should go look him up. He is outstanding. He, he went on a podcast or something um, and tried to explain like the way that why women respond the way that they do to men. And he does a very good job of explaining things. Like he, his analogies are spot on. I love his page. It's also like very uplifting and other things like that, but his analogies are spectacular. And also, if, well, I guess not so much in this book. I guess this is real life. It's the people of privilege need to be the ones who really stand up for the minorities. Yes. That was my tangential thought that you were just saying, like, I can shout about the things that I feel all day, but it needs to be the white men who tend to be the majority holders in power and where we're at, who speak out against oppressive systems. Right. Which actually kind of leads me to my disappointment in the end of this book. I guess, or unrealistic. I guess we can talk about it later. It just kind of segues in somewhat nicely. Okay. Well, speaking of, you know, you know, the people in power need to be, the privileged people need to be the ones um, who stand up and take a stand. At the end of this book, they burn it all down, which I love, huge mm -hmm. fan. But then they're just kind of like, okay, now we've got a woman in charge. We're abolishing all laws. And yeah, there are some rebels, but our army that came from somewhere is just suppresses them and I'm like you are taking an entire culture where like men have been like given all of the advantages have like women are in like entrenched in this belief that they are property that they exist for men and like I just was like this is a very nice ending it's an idealistic <laughs> ending for a young adult novel yes that is actually what I put in here too it was like this is kind of one of those things where it makes a distinction of it being like a YA novel versus maybe like something more in like fantasy where you know there's kind of like hey it all wraps up nicely but yes and also <laughs> it's a standalone and there's not a sequel and we have to kind right. of wrap this thing up and yes pages are less yes so they did that which just kind of led to the feeling rushed I think at that end there's because like I know like hey there's gonna really be like a lot of work that happens to change culture and society but I also really love the quote when you are accustomed to privilege equality feels like oppression mm -hmm. and I think that really would have been their biggest issue in trying to rebuild this society is because the men were super privileged and yeah. everything and so the women becoming equal that's gonna feel like oppression to them right yeah oh my wife suddenly isn't my property anymore I can't just get rid of her and get a new one mm -hmm. wow I'm oppressed right yeah exactly because I mean just look at like real life you know like <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. like but you'll get black lives matter lgbtq issues regular women's rights issues like this is what we see they like they get like they make some progress and everybody freaks out you right. know and they're like oh well this isn't fair to like 
the white men because men are being discriminated against <laughs> exactly well that's... now we need a men's rights activist group yeah. no no you no. don't that's not how this works <laughs> sir it's like you want to be oppressed so badly like <laughs> Maybe we should just like, do it. <laughs> like, that's not that's not how this works. Like you don't understand oppression. <laughs> it is not you. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. just that you are so used to being the oppressor that when some of your power is taken away and someone else is given more equality, it feels like you're being oppressed. But really you're just on more equal footing. I don't have the time. Lord Jesus, I do not have the time or the energy for that. Like, I'm ready to burn it down. <laughs> Our own society right now, right? It's a dumpster fire right now. It is. Friends, it's a dumpster fire. I'm almost always going to be in firmly camp, burn down and start over. Yeah. I love that's that that is literally what happens at the end of the story. Yes. I thought, oh, Vicky's gonna be really pleased that this is literally the thing that happens. <laughs> Paving the way. We have some brave characters, and one of them is the seamstress, although her that situation does it is hard to read. So the king makes an example of the seamstress and beheads her in the public square, basically. Um and it is so, it is such a moment of guilt for Sophia, but it is such a powerful moment too. I think this is one of your quotes. Do you want to read it? It's okay. You can do it. I, I had several quotes. Okay. Yeah. So the seamstress says to the king, like he's being all snotty and stuff about how he, like everything that the people has is because he's given it to them. And she says, if my life could serve a purpose, then let it be this. I would die to give even just one person the chance to be free from you. It is so powerful. Like it's a really hard moment for our main character, but it is so good. Mm -hmm. I, I love that, especially because she went from being seen as a seamstress who was like, no, get out. We're just like, not going to talk about it. And then those are her last words. Yeah. Oh, I, I loved it. And my heart was sad at the same time. Yeah. In this book at one point that I don't remember who says it, but it's about how women in this world slowly lost their rights. And they say, if you drop a frog in a pot of boiling water, it will jump out. But if you stoke the fire slowly, it will allow itself to be boiled to death. And this is coming back to sort of, we slowly see rights being stripped away, sort of one by one. You don't even notice it's happening until it's too late and you're boiled. And I like that analogy. I think there's also one that I always really like to, again, with frogs. I don't know, but it's, um, there's a frog in a jar and there's a lid on the jar and the frog just jumps and jumps and jumps, keeps hitting the lid, can't get out. So it stops jumping. And one day the owner takes the lid off the frog has stopped jumping. So even though the frog is free, he doesn't try to leave. Yeah. I think it's. He's been conditioned. Yeah. He's been conditioned and he's also. So. Accepted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that those were interesting kind of parallels with these frogs. I just, I wonder what it is. Why it's a frog. Let's talk about the king because I hated him. Uh, this man is a narcissist. You know, we were unclear about the definition of narcissist a few weeks ago. There is no way this man is not a narcissist. Mm -hmm. He is yeah. so butthurt because someone would dare defy him that he beheads an innocent woman to prove a point. And then he abused Cinderella because he felt like he deserved her love, even though he had literally done nothing to deserve it. And had actually done several things to not deserve it, like murder both of her parents. But she had the gall to reject him. I know. And at one point, he like yells, I deserved her love. And my comment was, how white man of you. Yeah. It, I just, uh, where do you find the audacity? You're literally a dead body reanimated. <laughs> but okay. It does make me wonder about his childhood. 
I like shocker. I wasn't expecting Amina to be his mother, but then at the end, after I thought back to the picture of the kid hanging over her mantle, it made, it made a lot of sense, but okay. Was he a tyrant as a child? How did he die? Did being raised from the dead make him this way? Which would make sense because I'm assuming that the dead don't have a conscience. So, okay, maybe you're cool with sucking a person's life force out, but I just wanted way more information about how he ended up this way. Me too. There, that seemed to be a that plot hole's not that just seemed to be glossed over. Yeah, like this is what it is. Explored. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's just a dickhole. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm accepting of it. Yeah, yeah. I just I'm curious. I would like to know more. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, hated him. Solid villain. Mm-hmm. Solid villain. I did appreciate Sophia's awkwardness like in flirting with Constance, I thought it was like adorable and sweet because Constance is very not like she's comfortable with her sexuality because she's not ever been ashamed, like made to feel shame about the way that she feels for other people. Um, this book is definitely more like fantasy and action driven than, than romance driven though. And so the romantic moments are kind of sparse, but when they do occur, I really like them. I feel like they're well-written. Yes. And this is, um, they have some banter. There's fluttering in the stomach. They have like gentle touches. Yes. Gentle touches. Look, I believed, I saw this. I believed it, you know, believe this relationship. Mm -hmm. And do you feel like Sophia was too willing to trust Amina? And maybe it was just naivete. Um, but I was glad that she had Constance to balance her out. And you kind of mentioned this earlier, because Amina straight up tells them that she is not a good person. And yeah. when people tell you who they are, you should believe them. But she straight up says, like, I did bad things. Mm-hmm. She does say she's ashamed. But that doesn't really. I mean, you can be ashamed and keep doing the bad things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they make this plan and they somehow end up back at Constance's old house. And they're planning to go to the cotillion. That's like the moment that everything's going to come to a head. And um, Sophia feels like she needs to go back and talk to Aaron about things just because she doesn't feel comfortable in moving forward with like relationship or romantic interactions with Sophia. It's almost like she needs closure in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And I feel really bad for both of them in this moment. We mentioned this earlier, but Aaron is obviously like misplacing some angry feelings with Sophia in this moment. I think it's a really good example of hurt people hurt people Mm -hmm. here with Aaron because she's hurt in a lot of ways. And so she lashes out at Sophia. Mm -hmm. But also... So we have that. We also have Sophia having this realization that like she tried so hard to make Aaron have the same feelings for her that she lost herself in it. Mm-hmm. And she says, I lost myself in caring for you. I cared for you so much that I forgot that I deserve to be happy too. And I feel like that's a very relatable f- sentiment in a relationship as well. Mm-hmm. You can't make people feel the same things that you do but you can lose yourself in trying to make that happen going back to their plan yeah yes wasn't the best plan um it's a little bit of a flimsy plan (laughs) was not the most hashed out i am i was reading it and it's like like i don't know it's like 83 percent in and they're like so we're gonna like just wait the plan is to just go to the cotillion and hope you get a chance to stab him in the neck yeah like this is not could have been a better plan yeah it's like this this is not the best also stabbing them in the neck an immortal creature not a good strategy like they already know that it's the same guy that's been alive this whole time and my immediate thought was like, nope, that's not going to kill them. You need to cut their head off and set them on fire. Mm-hmm. That is always the rule, friends. Yep. That's like when in doubt. <laughs> that's like, it's like supernatural 101. You watch Buffy, you watch the social, you know this. Come on, you read it. See, 
Mm. Like I'd be horrible in these books, but also if presented with like this, be like, hey, I've got like an unkillable person to kill. What do I do? I'd be like, well, let me just like reference <laughs> everything in my brain. Yes. Burn them. All Cut of their the TV I've watched them. up to this point. That is always the answer. I don't care. I have an excellent are, reference point. <laughs> what world you're in, it does not matter. Cut their head off and set them on fire and watch the acid ashes like scatter them around the yes. world. That is the only way. Yes. None of that, like leaving them off, assuming they're dead thing. This is um, the fever series, like 101. Baron said, make sure nothing comes out of those ashes. Yeah. <laughs> Sophia manages to save the day. She liberates pretty much everybody, even Luke, who I was really scared was going to be like an innocent victim here. But Luke is saved. She frees Emil and all of the rebels. Like she saved the day and figures out how to kill charming she like stabs him in his ball of energy that's keeping him alive but the real hero here is constance who has figured out that the thing that's tying manford to this world is amina she stabs Mm -hmm. amina and that is what triggers manford's death so clever i love the teamwork approach but i do have some questions Mm -hmm. so i would like to know how charming figured out that he could steal people's life force. Cause that's what he was doing. Like what kind of magic is that? Cause even Amina was like, yeah, I don't know. Did she not know? Or was she just saying that? See, and that, that becomes the problem. Cause she acted like she did not know. And he says like, this is a secret. I keep even from my, I keep, I kept even from my mother. And so did she not know where did this come from? What other kind of magic are we using? And then also at the end, Charming finds out that Amina Amina was playing both sides. And so he wonders like, whose side was she really on? And I just, do you think she was, did she double cross the girls or did she double cross Charming? Or was she like trying to play middle ground the whole time? Well, do you remember when they do divination Mm-hmm. yeah and she after she does her person she looks directly at Constance and goes so that's how it happens right and then mm-hmm. when asked what she saw she said she saw her death and then Constance is the one to kill her she saw it happening so I wonder I feel like she was more likely trying to play like middle ground at that point because she saw how everything was gonna like play out almost you know and I think she'd mm-hmm. probably choose her son over everything because I think at that moment when he came right and was uh, so he came to the cabin right and was demanding to see them and all of this and she promised to bring them to her so I think she definitely did that but ultimately she also wanted you know she knew what was going to happen with the girls so yeah. she's gonna like try too hard needed to like maneuver them into place maybe I don't know. I want to think the best of her. I don't know why. I don't. I know. I think at best she was trying to play like straight down the middle. Yeah. I think she probably would have gone more towards her son. Oh, 100%. If, I feel like if she, she is not a good have... person. Yeah. Yeah. And she told them, I have done bad things. I don't mm-hmm. think she was trying to do. I think that at best she was trying to go straight down the middle in this situation. Like maybe she recognized that her son is a tyrant, but she's known he's a tyrant this whole time. That's why she lives out in the forest, right? I was real scared that Sophia was going to die. I was very relieved that she did not. I like that she ended up recording the true story of Cinderella, but I did wish the epilogue had been longer. I mean, obviously right after the king dies, then the castle is burned down. The dirtback men in town try to stir the pot and rebel. Like just throw them all away, put them all in jail. These people, I read this and my immediate thought was like, these are the equivalent to the proud boys. If this was America, they would all be white supremacists. Like just throw them all away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was such a big fan that they actually did like literally burn everything down. (laughs) I think this is probably the only, (laughs) yeah, it literally, like it's uh, so many times we talk about it, you know, and like, we kind of saw it a little bit, um, in some other books but never I don't think we've ever seen like a literal burning down Mm -hmm. and completely like abolishing the estate like you know taking down the establishment sort of thing so Mm -hmm. this was kind of satisfying to my 
my soul here. <laughs> Your rebel nature. Yes. <laughs> to see it actually happen. I just wish I'd get to revel in the glory of it a bit more. <laughs> Let's talk about our favorite quotes then. So Const- I have a couple of them. Constance says one of them. She says, my mother taught me that I am a whole person with or without a husband. Who I am inside and how I treat others are the only things that matter. Can we teach this to everyone? Mm-hmm. You do not need another person to make you a whole person. You are enough. I also really like this quote that Amina says about her son and about villains. She says, I think we sometimes make the mistake of thinking monsters are abhorrent aberrations lurking in the darkest recesses when the truth is far more disturbing. The most monstrous of men are those who sit in plain sight, daring you to challenge them. I'm looking at you, Mitch McConnell (laughs) and Lindsey Graham. A lot of times Mm -hmm. we think that the bad people are going to look like bad people, but they look like regular people. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's how they get away with being bad people. Yep. And that's why that not all men argument doesn't work because you don't know. Mm -hmm. What were your favorite quotes? So, um, Um, I think we need to burn the whole thing to the ground and start over the entire system the ideals that have been woven into this society it all has to go I hear you laughing at me Marissa (laughs) I literally highlighted this in my Kindle and said Vicky is gonna love this (laughs) I don't think I need to explain why I love this this is is my this is a quote for me The other quote that I picked is, it is you and I together that make the difference. And I enjoyed this because I felt like both of them for so long had been by themselves, right? I mean, like, yeah, Sophia had friends, you know, she had Aaron and Liv and stuff, but she was still like by herself, you know, she never fit in. And then you have kind of the same thing with Constance is that everyone is gone so it's and then it's like the two of them together are what's going to make the difference teamwork all righty well that wraps up cinderella is dead by kaylin bayron um join us next week as we wrap up our pride month reads we will be talking about wicked beauty by katie robert thank you for listening and we hope you join us next week Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.